With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Section 1 of The Wonderful Adventures of Nils. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Reading by Lars Rolander The Wonderful Adventures of Nils by Selma Lagerlöf Translated from the Swedish by Velma Swanson Howard The Boy The Elf Sunday, March 20th Once there was a boy he was, let us say, something like fourteen years old, long and loose-jointed and tow-headed. He wasn't good for much, that boy. His chief delight was to eat and sleep, and after that he liked best to make mischief. It was a Sunday morning, and the boy's parents were getting ready to go to the church. The boy sat on the edge of the table in his shirt-sleeves, and thought how lucky it was that both father and mother were going away, and the coast would be clear for a couple of hours. Good, now I can take down Pop's gun and fire off a shot, without anybody's meddling interference, he said to himself. But it was almost as if father should have guessed the boy's thoughts, for just as he was on the threshold, ready to start, he stopped short and turned toward the boy. "'Since you won't come to church with mother and me,' he said, "'the least you can do is to read the service at home. "'Will you promise to do so?' "'Yes,' said the boy, "'that I can do easy enough.' And he thought, of course, that he wouldn't read any more than he felt like reading. The boy thought that never had he seen his mother so persistent. In a second she was over by the shelf near the fireplace, and took down Luther's commentary and laid it on the table in front of the window, open at the service for the day. She also opened the New Testament and placed it beside the commentary. Finally she drew up the big armchair, which was bought at the parish auction the year before, and which, as a rule, no one but father was permitted to occupy. The boy sat thinking that his mother was giving herself altogether too much trouble with this spread, for he had no intention of reading more than a page or so. But now, for the second time, it was almost as if his father were able to see right through him. He walked up to the boy and said in a severe tone, "'Now remember that you are to read carefully.' 
for when we come back I shall question you thoroughly, and if you have skipped a single page it will not go well with you. The service is fourteen and a half pages long, said his mother, just as if she wanted to heap up the measure of his misfortune. You'll have to sit down and begin the reading at once, if you expect to get through with it. With that they departed, and as the boy stood in the doorway watching them, he thought that he had been caught in a trap. There they go, congratulating themselves, I suppose, in the belief that they've hit upon something so good that I'll be forced to sit and hang over the sermon the whole time that they are away, thought he. But his father and mother were certainly not congratulating themselves upon anything of the sort, but, on the contrary, they were very much distressed. They were poor farmers, and their place was not much bigger than a garden plot. When they first moved there, the place couldn't feed more than one pig and a pair of chickens, but they were uncommonly industrious and capable folk, and now they had both cows and geese. Things had turned out very well for them, and they would have gone to church that beautiful morning, satisfied and happy, if they hadn't had their son to think of. Father complained that he was dull and lazy. He had not cared to learn anything at school, and he was such an all-round good-for-nothing that he could barely be made to tend geese. Mother did not deny that this was true, but she was most distressed because he was wild and bad, cruel to animals, and ill-willed toward human beings. May God soften his hard heart, and give him a better disposition, said the mother, or else he will be a misfortune, both to himself and to us. The boy stood for a long time, and pondered whether he should read the service or not. Finally he came to the conclusion that this time it was best to be obedient. He seated himself in the easy chair and began to read. But when he had been reading away in an undertone for a little while, this mumbling seemed to have a soothing effect upon him, and he began to nod. It was the most beautiful weather outside. It was only the 20th of March, but the boy lived in Westvemminghög township down in southern Skåne, where the spring was already in full swing. It was not as yet green, but it was fresh and budding. There was water in all the trenches, and the colt's foot on the edge of the ditch was in bloom. All the weeds that grew in among the stones were brown and shiny. The beech woods in the distance seemed to swell and grow thicker with every second. The skies were high and a clear blue. The cottage door stood ajar, and the lark's trill could be heard in the room. The hens, the geese, pattered about in the yard, and the cows, who felt the spring air away in their stalls, lowed their approval every now and then. The boy read and nodded, and fought against drowsiness. No, I don't want to fall asleep, thought he, for then I'll not get through with this thing the whole forenoon. But somehow he fell asleep. He did not know whether he had slept a short while or a long while, but he was awakened by hearing a slight noise back of him. On the window sill facing the boy stood a small looking-glass, and almost the entire cottage could be seen in this. 
As the boy raised his head, he happened to look in the glass, and then he saw that the covers to his mother's chest had been opened. His mother owned a great heavy iron-bound oak chest, which she permitted no one but herself to open. Here she treasured all the things she had inherited from her mother, and of these she was especially careful. Here lay a couple of old-time peasant dresses of red homespun cloth, with short bodice and plaited shirt, and a pearl-bedecked breastpin. There were starched white linen headdresses and heavy silver ornaments and chains. Folks don't care to go about dressed like that in these days, and several times his mother had thought of getting rid of the old things, but somehow she hadn't had the heart to do it. Now the boy saw distinctly in the glass that the chest lid was open. He could not understand how this had happened, for his mother had closed the chest before she went away. She never would have left that precious chest open when he was at home alone. He became low-spirited and apprehensive. He was afraid that a thief had sneaked his way into the cottage. He didn't dare to move, but sat still and stared into the looking-glass. While he sat there and waited for the thief to make his appearance, he began to wonder what that dark shadow was which fell across the edge of the chest. He looked and looked, and did not want to believe his eyes. But the thing, which at first seemed shadowy, became more and more clear to him, and soon he saw that it was something real. It was no less a thing than an elf who sat there astride the edge of the chest. To be sure, the boy had heard stories about elves, but he had never dreamt that they were such tiny creatures. He was no taller than a hand's breadth, this one, who sat on the edge of the chest. He had an old, wrinkled, and beardless face, and was dressed in a black frock-coat, knee-breeches, and a broad-rimmed black hat. He was very trim and smart, with his white laces about the throat, and wristbands, his buckled shoes, and the bows on his garters. He had taken from the chest an embroidered piece, and sat and looked at the old-fashioned handiwork, with such an air of veneration, that he did not observe the boy had awakened. The boy was somewhat surprised to see the elf, but, on the other hand, he was not particularly frightened. It was impossible to be afraid of one who was so little, and since the elf was so absorbed in his own thoughts that he neither saw nor heard, the boy thought that it would be great fun to play a trick on him, to push him over into the chest and shut the lid on him, or something of that kind. But the boy was not so courageous that he dared to touch the elf with his hands. Instead, he looked around the room for something to poke him with. He let his gaze wander from the sofa to the leaf-table, from the leaf-table to the fireplace. He looked at the kettles, then at the coffee-urn, which stood on a shelf near the fireplace, on the water-bucket near